hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brenna Store. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 180. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Paul, my friend, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. I've had a, a, a week of filing and sorting and counting issues of 14 times. Okay. Your issues of 14 times, I assume. Yes. Uh, sorted them all out and filed them away properly. And uh, I have almost a complete run of 33 years worth now. Holy smokes, that is impressive. Yes, I have three issues missing from an orange juice incident during the pandemic that I <laughs> keep forgetting to replace. But other than that, I have a complete run from uh, 1991. That is very, very impressive. Have you been subscribing the entire time or you just filled up the back catalog as time went? Uh, I started subscribing. I started buying it in 96 and I started subscribing about 98 well, it has prepared you well for your uh, your career in the Fortean. And uh, folks, if you ever wonder how you get to Paul's level of mastery, you subscribe to Fortean magazines for 20-some years. <laughs> this is why I don't even try. I was like, nope, Paul is the guy who knows stuff. I sometimes will know a little bit of stuff, but there's no way in hell I can catch up to that. Yes. So, yes, I've got them all all, all in order now. So, I, I, know, I know which ones I need and uh, obviously... I'm in the uh, I'm in the realms of, of of three figures for a copy levels now. Oh really? They're, they're that expensive to buy back issues. Yeah, yeah, anything before issue sixty, you're talking starting price of fifty quid. Holy smokes! Well, I have nothing so interesting. It has been <laughs> freezing cold here in London, Ontario. It was I think got down to about minus twenty nine at one point with with wind chill. It was deeply unpleasant. I made the mistake yesterday of going for a walk in minus 19, I think it was. And uh, I ver very quickly changed my mind on that subject. You know, I, I had gloves, I had a hat, but my my legs were just freezing and my face hurt. It, it, and not the cute kind of hurt that happens when it gets too cold outside, mm. but a full on, as if the wind could personally hand you a note that says, fuck you. That's what that felt like. So I have, mo I've been watching Mad Men and playing Assassin's Creed. Very, very interesting stuff. It's been as cold as it would be as if a Wendigo was eating your face then. I, at least that would be over at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've, I've, been, I've been laying low, but the advantage of this is that I got to go through a lot of email from our listeners, and I found a really great selection of listener stories for this episode. And I'm, I'm excited for this episode for two reasons. One, because we have a great selection of listener stories, but two, because this episode is going to be the gateway to a trilogy of episodes coming up where we will be sharing some stories from a beloved and very, very talented writer and ghost researcher. We won't, we won't share that now. We'll share that on the upcoming episode on 181 is when it'll start. But uh, we've got this very cool sort of almost like a partnership kind of coming up. With, with this author, and we'll be sharing three episodes worth of material based on their books. I'm very, very excited. So this episode is going to be listener stories, but in the offing is something very cool is coming. <laughs> Before we get there, though, 
we gotta thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the Legolas to our Merry and Pippin, <laughs> which is to say that without you, this fellowship would be incomplete. <laughs> and of course, we would like to thank all our patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers, but for now, we will thank the latest. They are Marie M. Carrie Harcomb. Cash Jensen. Priscilla. Marinan Coons. Robin Teen. Guys, thank you so, so, so much for your generous support of this show. Without you, the Ghost Story guys simply would not exist. And so we are deeply, deeply grateful for your support. And while we'll wait till the end of the show to tell you about all the cool stuff you get, we will say for just a dollar a month, you get an ad free feed. Who doesn't want that? Ads suck. And you can get all of that at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. That's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. Or you get most of the same stuff if you sign up to GSG Premium via Apple Podcasts. And that, again, gets you access to ad-free shows, bonus shows, all kinds of cool stuff that we'll tell you about at the end of the show. Don't forget to check out our soundtrack, Ghost Story Guys Volume 6, available on streaming platforms everywhere. That's all the music from 2022 or in the back half of 2022, all of which was composed by Rainy Days for Ghosts. Speaking of Rainy Days for Ghosts, they are a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith, You can find more from Jerry at rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com or by searching for Rainy Days for Ghosts and Street Witch everywhere you stream your music. All right, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with listener stories. That's just Bob. From John. My wife is an avid listener to your podcast and suggested I write in and share one of my ghost stories from my time stationed in Pearl Harbor between 2002 and 2005. There's a pier on Ford Island labelled Fox 12. This pier is located right next to the Utah Memorial and across the parking lot from what, at the time of my sighting, was still the old Navy hospital before it was turned into the Navy Lodge building number they gave it. I was new to the island, having joined the Navy March 2002 and stationed on Oahu as of August 2002. It was my first night on shift and I was shadowing and higher enlisted for the evening, getting things on my PQS signed off, as you do. When we got to the pier, it was around 1.45am and we were on the 2am to 6am shift for that pier. Working Panama schedule, we had 12 hour shifts and rotated between the three posts, four hours apiece. I got to the pier with the individual I was shadowing and we were going through the pass down procedures in the guard shack when I saw an individual walking across the parking lot towards the gate of the pier. My trainer told me to go to the gate and greet him, check his ID, all the good stuff. As I watched this shipmate of mine walk across the parking lot from the direction of what would have been the Navy hospital at the time, I asked, Hey, how are you doing? I got no response and figured maybe he didn't hear me. I continued to watch him walk across the parking lot and when he got about 20 feet away from the gate and just getting into the illumination of the one light we had near that gate, my heart skipped a beat. As I watched this sailor in his dress whites vanish right before my eyes. I proceeded to freak out internally and I thought that I was hallucinating. When I heard my trainer laughing from the guard shack tell me, don't look so freaked out, that's just Bob. He does that from time to time. 
I personally only ever saw Bob once, but I'll never forget that moment. Yeah, John, I don't think I would forget it either. <laughs> I love that we've, we've sort of stumbled onto this amazing cache of military stories from the episodes of last year. It, there is so much stuff on those bases. Yeah. Yeah, especially Pearl Harbor as well, for uh, notable reasons, both historically and hauntingly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I've mentioned before being at Pearl Harbor with Nick a few years ago, about 10 years ago now, and it just has a very heavy vibe, very, very solemn sort of air to it. Although on the subject of Hawaii, uh, Steve Stred sent me a video, and I'm kind of curious to know what you think of it. There is a woman who, a runner who uh, claimed to have a video of what some people were calling a night marcher. Have you seen this video? No, I have not. I've been too busy worrying about aliens in Miami. <laughs> I got good news for you. The only thing you got to worry about in Miami is Miami. Yeah, yeah. I think they just wanted to come watch the Dolphins game, personally. <laughs> that's the only way they can get people me. out there now. <laughs> hey, they're not that bad this season. <laughs> well, they weren't. They're out now. <laughs> I was in the sauna at the gym the other day, and these these other guys were in there, and they started talking football, and they were talking to me as well, and I know jack shit about football, man, but I, lear I learned this trick from another show. It's a show called Dear Old Dads, uh, which I really like. It's a, it's a parenting podcast. Obviously, I'm, I don't have any fucking kids, but I just, I like the hosts and I like the, dy the dynamic. But um, the one guy, he, he presents as a very manly man, He's very like financially successful, very like muscular, all that <laughs> shit, all the shit people kind of tend to associate with, with that. But he, he's a, he, he graduated with, him with a degree in literature. He's a poet. He's a very, very sensitive guy and he just, he doesn't give a shit about sports at all. And he's developed a system for talking his way through it. And basically he's, he's got a couple things like he'll, he'll say, well, it's all about the coaching. If they can keep the coaching together, they'll be all right. Or it's all about confidence. If they can keep their confidence, they're going to do fine. If they can stay healthy, they just got to, all they got to do is got to focus on staying healthy. He said, you just throw that shit out there and pe they will, people will just take it and run with it. You don't ever have to actually know anything. And so I'm sitting there and these guys are talking about whatever the fuck it was. They're talking football of some description. And then they said, what do you think? I'm like, well, it's all about that confidence, man. If they can keep that confidence up, I think they're going to be all right. And everyone starts going, yeah, 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 yeah. Confidence, confidence. Yeah, it's, 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 such, it's so true. You lose that. I'm like, I know, man, you lose that. It's gone. It is. It is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I managed to sail through this entire conversation about football without ever really evincing that I know fuck all about football. Oh, you could always just say, what about those cowboys? <laughs> uh, no, because one guy had... Uh, did he have Cowboys flip-flops? <laughs> what a loser. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing shade at the Dallas Cowboys. So my team's had a dreadful season, but at least we didn't get humiliated at home in the playoffs again. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time they just got to get worry about that coaching. They'll be all right. <laughs> no chance because the commanders are back. They can stay healthy. The commanders, they'll be fine. <laughs> they can stop being shit. Exactly. See, folks, this ain't doing. <laughs> Anyways, um, the uh, yeah, the this night marcher video. This woman was was running on Oahu, I believe it was, and it was very early in the morning, sort of getting light, but not fully light yet. And there, there is this video of a person in the bush who appears to be sort of very odd looking you know it doesn't look like like a person would ordinarily be standing out in the bush and she was a little ways out and supposedly at the time she didn't notice it according to she wrote a blog post about this and she said that uh at the time she didn't think anything was amiss but her friend took this photo which is i guess it's one of it's an iphone thing i haven't owned an iphone in so long but 
they take like a motion photo. And apparently in this motion photo, there is this person. And so this woman posted it and she started getting shit on from a, a, a thousand foot feet above people accusing her of cultural appropriation. You know, you didn't see a night marcher. That's you're, you're, you're not a, you know, you're not a Hawaiian. You couldn't have seen a night marcher. This is like, you're evil for saying this, which is fucking insane for a lot of reasons. Like, again, the Hawaiian people have a lot to be mad about in terms of colonialism. No argument there. But if someone saw something, they saw something, you know, and if it's on video, it's, if it's on tape, it's on tape. It doesn't fucking matter, you know, whose team it's on. But um, I'll see, one sec, I'll see, let me see if I can send it over to you. The woman actually got so much shit, she deleted the post, but I managed to find it through using the, uh, the Wayback Machine. Steve Stred sent this over, kind of asked me what I thought. And I said, well, honestly, I'm not totally sure. I mean, obviously photo evidence is suspect forever and even more so now in the age of AI. But um, it was it was interesting. Count the fingers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, right. The fuck is that? Whoa. Yeah, it's it's strange. That's that's giving me chills. That's that's genuine paranormal phenomena caught on tape. I, I could very well be. I mean, I'm always hesitant to sort of uh, ascribe one thing or the other to it. it. Could always just be someone tramping through the bush. But yeah, it's it's odd. Yeah, it, it looks translucent as well. Let me look at it again. Because at first I was thinking, is it that big fucking thing over there? And then obviously when she zooms in and then it goes. I mean, looking at it more, it does look like some, like someone in like a singlet or like a t-shirt. But they walk through the tree and the tree doesn't move on their left. Oh. If you look, the foliage around them that they seem to be walking through doesn't move. If you notice. Yeah. Yeah, I think I see what you mean. Well, it looks like they duck under something at one point. So that to me says more person. Like when they first come into frame, they, they duck on, it looks like they duck under a branch. It's creepy, whatever it is. And folks, we will, I'll include a link to this, uh, to the, um, uh, the Wayback Machine link in the show notes so you guys can evaluate it yourselves. But uh, yeah, it's it, fascinating stuff because again, video evidence is, like I said, I, I, you, you can make with AI a lot of stuff now. And even before that, it was just easy to fake things. So can't rely on anything that way, but uh, it is sort of compelling to look at. That's the most compelling thing I've seen since the Miami video. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Oh boy. That's no balloon. <laughs> Isn't the video just like three guys walking? Yeah, there's some great big thing lumbering about. I don't know what's going on there. I saw a couple of witnesses talking about it and they were quite compelling. I mean there was one guy claiming that he was he was the son of a copper, but we've no we've no evidence of that. No, and what is that? I mean You've had some experience with Sons of Coppers. This, this means nothing. <laughs> no, no. Usually they're liars. Yeah. <laughs> In my personal experience, anyway. <laughs> yeah, creepy. I must admit, the, the first couple of times I saw that, I got a shiver run up my spine. Interesting. Well, like I say, check the, check the show notes for a link to the post we're talking about. Of course, again, that post has been deleted, um, but the internet never forgets. And thank you, John, for sending in your story. Please, if you want to send more, we would love to read them. The Big Bang from Rochelle. I used to rent a room from two of my best friends back in the mid-2000s when I was single. They lived in an old historic home located in Hamilton, Ontario. And before I moved in, they used to share with me their haunted experiences within the home. Things like items going missing and turning up in a different place than where you left them. Shadow figures appearing in doorways or at the foot of the bed. Whispers heard in the middle of the night. Cabinet doors opening and closing on their own, and footsteps and voices coming from the attic. 
This attic is the very space I rented from them. It was a fully finished area with room for a bed and even a couch with a television. It was a nice little cozy space for me to relax in. I didn't really know how I felt about the stories they told me. I wasn't a skeptic, but I needed some form of proof in order to believe in something supernatural or paranormal. I can't say I ever saw any shadow figures when I lived there, but I do have one experience which still haunts me to this day. I used to work an 11 to 7 p.m. shift at a college, and my friends worked a typical 9 to 5 shift at their own jobs. So I was usually home alone in the mornings through the week. One particular morning I woke up and felt like something was off. I chalked it up to having a bad sleep and proceeded to get myself ready for the day. After breakfast, I headed upstairs to the bathroom to shower and do my makeup. To give a little visual, the bathroom is located at the top of the stairs on the second floor. About halfway down the stairs, the wall opens up to the main living room and dining area. If you turn your head to the right, you can see the kitchen and back door. Go past the bathroom on the second floor, you'll find a door to the guest room on the left and a door to the attic. Anyway, after my shower, I was doing my makeup and I heard some voices coming from the kitchen downstairs. Now, I knew that no one was home, but I called out anyway to see if anyone would answer. Nothing. I headed down the steps and peered into the kitchen, but didn't see anyone. So, I figured I must be hearing things. I headed back upstairs and continued getting ready for the day. Within a couple of minutes, I heard what sounded like a cupboard door closing. Based on the stories I heard, I was a little freaked out and didn't want to have to deal with any paranormal nonsense that morning. So I bravely called out to the empty house that I didn't want to play any games and to please stop the noises. Another few minutes go by and I heard some footsteps coming from the attic. It sounded like someone was running a marathon up there. I hesitantly left the bathroom and headed up the stairs to the attic. As you might have guessed, no one was up there. I searched high and low to no avail. So I headed back down the stairs to the bathroom and on my way I said again to the empty house, but more firmly this time, to stop with the noises. Within seconds of my feet hitting the bottom of the stairs on the second floor, I heard a very, very loud bang coming from the first floor. Just one bang, but it seemed to shake the entire house. I jumped about 20 feet into the air, screamed and ran into the bathroom and slammed the door. I sat on the edge of the bathtub for what seemed like hours, but was most likely seconds, listening and breathing quietly. After a while, when I didn't hear anything, I decided I better check on the first floor and make sure nothing was amiss. I very slowly tiptoed down the stairs, and when I got to the hallway point and peered into the dining room, every single chair from the table had toppled backwards onto the floor, and the vase of flowers had fallen over on the table. Now, remember I mentioned I heard one loud bang. Well, there are six dining chairs and one vase. That's seven items that fell at once, creating that one loud bang. Needless to say, I ran down the rest of those stairs, grabbed my phone, purse, and shoes from the foyer, headed out the front door, and never looked back. I stayed the night at my parents' house. I was too spooked to go back there. I called my friends to let them know what happened and that I didn't think I could come back to stay in the house for a while. They understood and weren't really surprised. I did end up going back about a week later, but only to pack some stuff so I could move back in with my parents until I could find another place to stay. I wasn't going to spend another night in that house. I feel like something or someone didn't want me there. 
My friends lived there for another year or so before selling the house and moving to another city. Seems they got tired of the hauntings too. Can't say I blame them. So, thank you, Rochelle. I, you know, honestly, I don't necessarily think this was targeted at you. I mean, obviously, we can't say for sure, but this just seems like, you know, more of the same uh, from the house. I mean, possibly an escalation, but I, I, it, to me, it doesn't seem targeted. This just seems like, yep, another day in the life of the haunted house. It has a real paranormal activity vibe to it. You know, there's that one, I mean, I guess you've never seen them past the first one, but I think it's in part three or something. They're, they're stacked on it. It's a bunch of chairs stacked on a table. It, it's a whole thing. So uh, they ripped off a scene from Poltergeist then. <laughs> Your love for that film series knows no bounds. One's, one was more than enough. I still stand up for Next of Kin, the most recent one. I think that's a really solid found footage horror film. It has, I think, only tangential connections to the first film, uh, but it's a very, very good looking film and it's, it's, it's just, I think it's pretty good. I'll never know. I was going to say, yeah, much like Aquaman, you will never see it, so you will never know. <laughs> I might catch in. I have seen some strange films recently that I would never have thought I'd watched, like that really weird Bigfoot trap one that I ended up watching the other month. I don't remember that one. That's how I felt at the end of it. Basically, a low-budget film called The Bigfoot Trap, which is essentially based on like some kind of vice journalist type who goes to meet these Bigfoot hunters with the idea to kind of make them look like idiots, which is what he specialises in dealing with, like, flat earthers and all that kind of thing. People who will just talk themselves into stupidity. And he goes there. Obviously, there is something going on, but these guys are obviously convinced that they, they need to prove it, and they, they, they try and um, fool him. And one of them dresses up, and he, he accidentally murders him. <laughs> <laughs> he he shoots the guy in a Bigfoot suit and and it all goes horribly wrong from there. And then it, instead of being a film about cryptids, it becomes a really badly acted thriller. Oh. With a twist in the tale. That sounds remarkably similar to a film called uh, 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot, mm. which is about a vice reporter going to a Bigfoot festival. And he obviously, yeah, he goes, he's furious, furious he's been sent to this thing because he thinks he's better than it. And... Uh, he meets up with this Bigfoot hunter, the, the cryptid commander, and they're going to go out in the woods and, and it's the same thing, except it's, it's a comedy. It's like a horror comedy. Um, and, and a much better film from the sound of it. Yes. It ended up being recommended after I'd just watched, uh, Abominable for the first time, uh, which was a bit, okay. which was a bit of a, a, a drop off. I have to say. I watched one and I, I won't say the name cause I don't want to be negative overly negative and because this is a very independent film and i don't want to shit on it <laughs> most of it was out of focus i've never seen that before i rented one movie last year where they had screwed up the sound mix so bad it kept clipping and peaking so you, you it was inaudible so yeah. i thought okay like I, i've rented some some garbage but this one had really cool cover art and i thought okay well let's give it a shot and most of what I saw, I couldn't sit through the whole thing. It was out of, it was just out of focus. It was like the camera guy had wonky eyes or something, needed a new prescription and never bothered to check the dailies. Mm. It was terrible. Mm. I mean, it was bad for a lot of reasons, but it was especially bad because apparently no one cared enough to focus the fucking lens. <laughs> Thank you again, Rochelle. The Jacksonville sighting of December 2022 from Larry. 
This is a story about something my sister and I saw and experienced back in December 2022 in Florida. I am only just now getting around to writing it down, to allow time for the trauma of the period to lessen. No, I'm not alluding to the trauma of being in Florida, but rather the death of a family member. Let me explain. My sister Teresa remarried about seven years ago to a handsome, pleasant and easygoing guy who went by the initials CJ. My sister and I grew up close and remained so, but we lived on opposite sides of the United States and in sometimes different countries for long times as adults. We'd always kept up by phone, WhatsApp and the occasional visit. Because of this, I didn't know her new husband well. We'd only met three or four times in person, though I spoke to him by phone frequently. I liked CJ and thought he was good for Teresa. CJ and Teresa were the same age at 60 years old at the time. And overall, I think CJ did not feel worthy of my sister. He said as much to me several times. CJ really did live for my sister. While my sister and CJ were the same age, they were years apart in terms of their personal health and lifestyle. My sister's super healthy and works out. You'd probably think she was in her early 50s rather than her early 60s. However, CJ had had his share of health problems and emergency room visits over the years. The main culprit was his heart, but he'd also had other health issues. It was safe to say he was ageing more quickly than Teresa. About two years ago, CJ took early medical retirement from his employer of 30 years. My sister received a job offer in Florida soon after, so they loaded up the truck and they moved down to Jacksonville from the west coast to begin anew. After about four months in Jacksonville, CJ went for seemingly standard outpatient medical procedures, but there were complications. Also, there were other general life complications in Jacksonville. It was not the Florida experience they had anticipated. The home they'd purchased needed too many repairs. An ageing condo in Florida, there were also many unpredictable assessment expenses, along with the rising costs of homeowner insurance and inflation in general. Fortunately, Teresa works in a relatively high-demand career space and received a job offer to move overseas for a well-placed assignment in Europe. Perhaps chasing another dream lifestyle, they were both set on leaving Florida behind them. Flash forward about five months. Teresa had gone overseas to start her new job and find a home, and CJ had stayed behind to sell the condo, his cars, and what was supposed to be a low-risk corrective surgery, correcting those complications from his previous visit. Teresa always worried and asked me to keep tabs on CJ. Having an odd feeling myself, I phoned CJ the night before his procedure to wish him well and to see how he was faring. In good spirits, we ended the call with the usual, I'll talk to you later. 24 hours later, CJ was gone. Dead. I won't go into the awful details, but there were yet again complications that resulted in a cascading organ failure from that corrective surgery that he did not survive. Teresa was devastated. She flew back immediately from Europe, and I met her at the airport where her flight was connecting and flew back with her to Jacksonville. I stayed with her for the entire month of December, helping her organise CJ's affairs, figure out finances, sell his car, sell the condo, not to mention the funeral and burial arrangements. She'd opted for cremation. This is where it gets strange. Teresa and CJ's condo is one of those two-storey models 
large with balconies overlooking the St John's River. With solid concrete walls, the place is as quiet as a tomb. The apartment was sparsely furnished, since much of their belongings were in transit by boat to Europe. We spent a lot of time going through CJ's personal things and looking for items like receipts, bills and financial records. About the third day after CJ's death, he'd yet to be cremated, and Teresa and I were in his office man cave looking for an iPhone power cable. CJ's man cave was up on the second floor with its own adjacent bathroom, and this was the bathroom I was using. The man cave had one of those phony fireplaces with electric fires you can turn on for those chilly North Florida nights, which is definitely a Florida thing. The fireplace was framed on either side by built-in cabinets with doors, and I was hunched down to look in the lower left cabinet, though unaware at the time, Teresa was looking over my shoulder. When I opened the doors, a softball-sized orb of fuzzy light shot out right in front of me, paused, and then took a mechanically abrupt right-angle turn to my right, then another abrupt right-angle turn, and shot into the fake fireplace, vanishing. It moved like one of those laser beam lights when you play with with a cat, but this again was the size of a softball, and this all happened in about five seconds. I was very freaked out and wasn't sure what I'd seen. I am a believer, but also a bit of a sceptic, and I was shaken but I was going to brush it off as a weird dust bunny with OCD and cover it up the way guys often do. But then I saw my sister's face, and she stuttered, Did you see that? I said yes, I had. Teresa was just as freaked out as I was. From that point forward, that upstairs room seemed to have a presence. I felt watch when I went up there to change clothes or use the shower. The presence wasn't bad in any way, but it just felt overwhelmingly sad. My sister and I are pragmatic, rational, logical sorts. We are very German culturally, so when we both immediately concluded it was CJ, we didn't even need to deliberate or discuss it. Neither of us had any doubt. The memory of the sighting hasn't faded either, and we talk about it now and again, still with a sense of awe, amazement, and sadness. So thank you, Larry. I'm so sorry for your loss. That's horrible i i know it's it's been you know it's been a year and a bit but you know that's that's nothing when it comes to grief so we're, we're very sorry to hear that and i i will say you know the um this actually just happened to someone we know that uh they their father went in for a fairly routine procedure and something went wrong and he you know he had an underlying health condition but they were not expecting it to do this and he died on the operating table so smoke him while you got him and be good to each other because you never know when your moment's coming. Very true. But this is really interesting. I mean, you know, usually we talk about orbs in sort of this this dismissive way, but that's mostly photography. Hmm. This, though, I feel like we, we actually had someone asking about situations like this recently where you have these balls of light which appear to move with agency and not just, not. I mean, not that I think a ball of light moving at random is, is any less impressive than uh, than this, but... Yeah, there really seems to be something intelligent happening there. Yeah, and it's interesting as well that obviously, as we're being regaled with the story, he's quite happy to brush it off. And it's only the fact that his sister also witnesses it that sort of compounds that, yeah, this has actually happened. And you can't just sort of brush it under the carpet and think, as he said, yeah. a dust bunny with OCD. Clearly, there's something at play there. And it's 
you know, it, it's not come out of a plug or a television or it's not like you say, it's nobody looking through a camera. This is just opening a cupboard door and this thing appears. And I got to say, I'm really happy knowing that you guys are okay with feeling CJ in the house because I have had some experience with people who were not comfortable with that. Long time ago, I was researching Strange and, you know, there's this house downtown in Revelstoke that, that's got, you know, hand, some fairly famous haunted activity. And I was contacted by a family member of someone who used to live there and they were really worried because they thought their mother's spirit was imprisoned there and unable to move on to the afterlife. And I, I, I was never even occurred to me someone might think that. I really had to kind of talk them through it and explain that, you know, I, I don't think that's actually what's happening. And part of me wants to kind of chuckle at that, but he was very, very upset. So, I mean, it's, it's not funny. Absolutely. I think sometimes when we talk about hauntings, that the people that remain are often overlooked. And it can be sometimes quite a damaging situation, I think. And we've seen this recently. And fair play to everybody in the paranormal community that's kind of pushing back about against this kind of investigatory behavior where you will see certain notorious, or some would say even cheap, investigators who are deliberately targeting places of tragedy and death in recent memory for nothing more than clicks and attention. And I think people go, oh, well, what's the harm? We're just looking for ghosts. And you sometimes have to think, yeah, as with anything in life, when you're dealing with loss and death and grief, you have to give it time and space to calm down. And oh, yeah. having a group of overactive idiots running about an area where someone's passed away through tragic circumstances through no other reason than to promote themselves rather than the paranormal, and I've no no qualms in saying such things. <clears throat> it astounds me that people think that that's acceptable behavior because it isn't at all and numerous people and some who i garnered more respect for that i perhaps didn't give them were all very vocal in pushing back against such investigations as this and i think more of us need to do so because i'm not approved by any sense but i am a man of respect and dignity and especially when it comes to things like this there are some people who need to understand what those words mean. You are not kidding. Uh, you, you talked about this on an episode of Mysteries and Monsters, did you not? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, what uh, what episode was that? Do you recall? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, usually, I'm usually quite dismissive of, of, of certain attention-seeking investigators of all fields of Fortiana. Oh, as well you should be. But I, w w the reason I ask about this specific conversation is you mentioned this is something that's been going on for a while. You, you know, you've always... Got oper gross opportunistic psychics uh, trying to reach out to Elvis or to Marilyn Monroe. When it's things like that, there is this kind of feeling towards celebrity that that in certain investigators think they've got carte blanche over them. That they believe that they're public property, they're in the public domain, they're entertainers, and oh, therefore yeah. they have they have there are no rules for those kinds of alleged hauntings. You know, be as we say, Elvis, Elvis. Marilyn Monroe, Michael Jackson, JFK. I mean, there is a program coming up shortly being shown over here uh, called Celebrity My House is Haunted, which I'm sure some people will be very aware of. Um, I've mentioned it to you uh, in 
private conversations that we haven't written due to the um, veracity of the psychic expert involved, shall we say. I'm shocked. (laughs) Worst example of table tipping I've ever seen on British television. Anyway, they're currently announced that they're doing an episode with a gentleman called Paul Burrell. And Paul Burrell is extremely notorious as being Princess Diana's butler and confidant. Oh, no. And if there's one thing Paul Burrell likes, it's attention. And of course, who could possibly be haunting Paul Burrell's home? Wait, wait, I know this one. Elvis. (laughs) Is it a certain candle in the wind? Uh, Yes. Yes, yes, it is. of course it is. Of course it is, you know? So, it. I find it quite tawdry. I have to be honest. Stuff like this. And it's beyond obvious. And at the end of the day, I wouldn't believe Paul Burrell if he told me what my name was. Never mind anything else. <laughs> well, imagine haunting your butler after you go. What a, yes. what a douchebaggy yes. rich person thing to do. That'd be like Batman finally getting capped by the Joker. And Alfred thinks, oh, Christ, I'm free, I'm free. And then Batman just, he's sitting on the toilet. Hey, buddy, good news. We're going to be together forever. (laughs) It doesn't make fucking sense. Yeah. Why would you do that when you could be spending time perhaps with your two beloved sons and your grandchildren? I don't know. I mean, kind of seeing how they turned out, I get it. I wouldn't want to hang out with them either. (laughs) Coffee with Megan, hanging out with the butler. Butler's looking a lot better. Man, all I had to all I had to offer was was uh, some some asides about the Jacksonville lifeguard station, but this is far more interesting. It's it's something I feel passionate about because, as we've discussed on on this program before, and and, and some of our listeners will understand, grief grief is a many layered emotion, and the last thing you need is some dickhead with an EMF reader trampling all over it. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I you know we we just recorded a quite lengthy Q and A today for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. And one of the things we talked about, someone wanted to know where we think the 40 in is going. And I, I'm a bit more of a, of a pessimist than you are. But part of it is, is, is stuff like this, because I think the attention economy has really supercharged the worst among us to try and, and get those clicks, get those views, regardless of who it hurts. And I feel like we're going to see more of this kind of nonsense. You know, people, I mean, going to recent crime scenes. And trying to trying to uh, contact the dead, it's it's brutally disrespectful. And and I like I said, I I think we're going to see more of that, not less. Yeah. Well, you could also apply those those rules and regulations to the true crime phenomena. That's very true. Yeah. We had a very notorious case here of uh, of a poor lady called Nicola Bully, uh, who unfortunately oh of course drowned. And you had people turning up at the site on TikTok going, "Well, I think this is a cover. I think the police have murdered her." Whoa, whoa, whoa. As though this woman's family ceased to exist. I enjoy true crime and I find some cases absolutely fascinating. And I've often said before that I find some serial killers, I wouldn't say addictive, but I just, the whole concept and mindset and and reasons for it, it, I I find it so deeply interesting because I can't comprehend it. And that's what I find fascinating about it. I don't understand it. And yet you have other people who seem to like go, and get really overexcited about it as though it's as though they're cheering on their favorite sports team yeah get a grip yeah you're talking about murderers not who's your favorite footballer or wide receiver you know 
it, it, it's something I'm very careful to say. I, you know, and I've learnt over the years. You know, if you'd have asked me a, a question 15, 20 years ago and said, oh, who's your favourite serial killer? You know, I think even using that language, it may seem quite... Not, it, it might not seem important, but I think language can be quite a powerful thing. And when if you say something like, who's your favourite serial killer? That doesn't come across well these days. I think if you say, the case that interests me the most is a far better way of saying it than saying, oh yeah, I'm really into Ted Bundy, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as long as Ted Bundy can stay healthy, I think they got a good chance to see <laughs> It's all about the coaching. It's all about the coaching. <laughs> the Maritime Museum from Lisa. I'm a big fan of Victoria Local, and perhaps not too strangely, I also spend a lot of time in the UK. I was actually just up in Paul's neck of the woods in July en route to the Harrogate Crime Writers Festival. I'm a Patreon subscriber of GSG and Eminem. While you tell stories about ghosts, I'm a bonafide ghostwriter. I write books for other people who lack the time, skill, or knowledge to write on their own. My genre is actually self-help and personal growth, and many of my clients are household names. I've been delighted to see how you both weave knowledge and support for mental health into your narratives. It really matters, and there have been times when I've been moved to tears with readers' responses. My entry into the supernatural world took place when I got my first professional job out of uni in 1994 as the Director of Education at the Maritime Museum of BC, which, at the time, was housed in the old courthouse here in Victoria. I'm sure Brennan knows it well. My office was on the third floor, and it actually was Judge Matthew Bailey Begbie's office when the courthouse was built. Those turrets on the sides of the building? They were the original washrooms, and there was an old toilet in there that was disconnected from the more modern plumbing. Anyway, one of the things I introduced to the museum was pirate sleepovers, where we'd get groups of children, usually brownies or scouts, to come in for an all-night exploration of the museum's boats and cutlasses, complete with sword balloon fights to tire the kids out, and pizza in the old courtroom. The kids never heard or saw anything spooky. There were a lot of tourist reports of ghosts on the second floor of the museum, but with its rabbit warren of dark corridors, glass cases, and mannequins in naval uniforms, it kind of always looked like there was a ghost around the corner. I never took those reports seriously, nor did any of the staff. But I did have my own completely unexplainable experiences. Both before and after the children would arrive for a sleepover, the museum had to be completely locked up and the doors alarmed. The reason this was the case was that it was a huge building, and I ran the programs on my own. I was all by myself there getting things ready, or cleaning up afterwards, so I needed to make sure no one breached the perimeter. I was in the lobby making the sword balloons one day, when I distinctly heard slow, heavy footsteps coming down the grand 15-foot-wide staircase between the third and second floors above me. I called out and expected to see someone turn the corner and greet me, but nothing happened. The footsteps just stopped. I ran up the stairs towards where the sound was, as it was my responsibility to ensure the security of the building. No one was supposed to be there, and I would have been in big trouble if a patron or staff member had been left behind and couldn't get out because of the alarm and locks. I was one of only three team members with a set of keys, and the director and office manager were long gone home. My biggest fear was that it was an actual intruder looking to steal something from the collection. I ran around the second floor, quickly scanning for someone and calling out again. All of the exits from the second floor and all of the offices there were also alarmed and locked, so I know that no one could get out except to go past me, and they hadn't gone back up to the third floor as I would have heard their footsteps echo. But I couldn't see anyone, even after three rounds of checking. Later that evening, I let the kids and parents in and locked and alarmed the doors again. 
No one left the building except through me the following morning. A few weeks later, I was running another program, and as per normal, I slept on a rollout mattress in Begbie's office while the kids were sleeping on the second floor below me. Once in a blue moon, I'd have a parent come up and ask a question. That night, around 1 a.m., I was just about to get into my sleeping bag when I heard footsteps outside my office door, and then a sudden silence. I was waiting for a knock, and for the kind of noise downstairs that takes place when a kid wakes up barfing or has wet the bed. Nothing. I got up, put on my sweatshirt and shoes, and opened the door. Again, I had the responsibility to our patrons, so I sucked up whatever fears I had and just opened it. But just like the footsteps on the stairs, there wasn't anything to see. I was fully awake when this happened, and the footsteps had stopped at Begbie's door. I quickly gathered up my sleeping things and ran down to the modern office manager's room just off the lobby and locked the door behind me. From that day on, while I used my office during the day, I never again slept up on the third floor. I don't know if it was Begbie himself haunting the place, but I didn't get that feeling. I felt protected in that office despite the figurative wolves at the door. In fact, the museum had access to the courthouse's records, and despite being known as the hanging judge, Begbie himself only signed off on one, yes, one, hanging. He liked being known as the hanging judge because the reputation it gave him made his job easier, scaring accused criminals into compliance. Even so, the one hanged man lost his life right there at the courthouse in the yard out back. It's possible that he found himself stuck there, and his spirit was looking to try and find Begbie to seek his revenge. I just happened to be in the way. So thank you for sharing that, Lisa. And um, I love stories from Victoria. Uh, we don't get many of them. It, it is a very haunted place, although you, quite often I find the real interesting hauntings are not the stuff that are sort of part of local legend. They're usually kind of more hidden away. But the Maritime Museum is very much an exception to that. It's a really, I mean, it's the Maritime Museum has moved to a different location, but the building it formerly occupied, very cool old building, uh, present, uh, or sorry, pardon me, located maybe 200 feet from Chancery Court, which is where I worked for the better part of seven years and where we started the ghost story guys, first on the second floor and then on the third. And that was, a, as I've mentioned many times, a deeply haunted place the old office, my old, uh, where I used to work. Uh, second floor was most strong. Uh, third floor, we still had some stuff going on. Uh, do I think necessarily, Lisa, that it was the, the ghost of the person you, you mentioned? I don't, uh, and, but I think that mostly because everything I experienced in Chancery Court in the old office, it, it, it seemed to be, I, I was told by someone who's sensitive to these things and whether or not it's accurate, I don't know. I was told that there are two entities in that building, but the whole area is kind of a pass-through. So it, it's just that area seems to allow things to move, like entities and, and spirits or whatever, to move through. And so that's why you kind of have this intermittent activity. Um, and as I say, the, supposedly the one of the things that was in my office or in, in that area was a non-human intelligence that was relatively benign, almost like an elemental type presence. And the other one was not, but the other one kind of came and went, but it was much more sinister. Interesting that we had these experiences in the same place. And uh, it's always nice to hear the uh, one of the greatest British Columbians of the 19th century get a mention, as, uh, as I am fully aware of Matthew Begbie's reputation and his, uh, his rule of actually using the justice in the correct way. One of the, uh, the great purveyors of justice for all members of the population not just the rich white people 
Yeah, that's really interesting. You, you were telling me about this. You said that he was sort of uh, one of the reasons you think he had such a harsh reputation is because, yeah, he, he enforced the law even against settlers yeah. in the area, which would not have endeared him to mm. them. Yeah, he was the first, I think he was the first judge ever to rule in a, an assault case on an, in, an indigenous person against the assaulter, who was a man from California, uh, which apparently was the first time that had ever occurred. Um, I'm not sure in North America, but certainly in British Columbia. Um, he also rallied against the change in law for increasing the rents of laundrettes massively because he believed it was secretly racist because even though it didn't mention them, the majority of laundrettes in the area were run by Chinese and therefore he believed it was deliberately targeted against them. Um, he he learned several indigenous languages. He was a judge that didn't even need a translator. He was respected by the local chiefs and the communities. He was a real renaissance man and his reputation as the hanging judge is is a complete misnomer because he didn't make that ruling. He simply had to apply the law as he was ordered to do so. The tour is all, you know, the historical tour is all very much kind of lean on that aspect of his, of his character. He seemed like a damn fine Renaissance man to me. Well, he was Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would imagine Lisa spent some time at, uh, at the infamous hotel in Harrogate where Agatha Christie was discovered after her disappearing act in the 1920s. That, again, I was surprised. I had no knowledge of this, but it would make sense it would be held there. Yeah, yeah. It's a fascinating case. And uh, like I say, people have often put forward the idea that it was all a, it was all a show and a way of getting back at her adulterous husband. But um, having seen where her car was found, Lucy Worsley, who's a wonderful uh, television historian here in the UK, who... Uh, Last Christmas, so Christmas 2022, she did a three-parter all about Agatha Christie's career. And she went to the site of where uh, Agatha's car was found after she disappeared. And it was on, it was on a real precipice. You know, if she'd, have, if she'd have made the wrong step, she would have fallen to her death. Oh, wow. So uh, there's lots of rumours that she did it to embarrass her husband and, and essentially get the divorce that she required from her wayward husband. But... Um, All's, all's well that ends well. But yeah, she disappeared for a week or so and uh, was eventually recognised and uh, recovered by her husband and a police officer from Scotland Yard, I believe, ironically, and uh, and eventually got divorced and uh, travelled and eventually found a man worthy of her talent and her character. Good for her. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, well, nobody remembers him, do they? Exactly. Just the dickhead that cheated on Agatha. That's it. You fucked up, my son. <laughs> Yeah. Just, just quickly, you were talking about laundromats. I was at the laundromat. Uh, the, it's run by this by this family and their, I assume, grandson. They're they're you know probably in their sixties, and their grandson is is there quite a bit, and uh, he's just this adorable little kid, super sweet. Never get never you know gets in anyone's way. But then sometimes he will just sort of make friends, uh, but non verbally with people in the laundromat. So one day there was this elderly woman sitting down. She had some, she had some, a bag of grapes and this little kid just plopped down next to her and reached in and grabbed one of her grapes and just started noshing on it. <laughs> and you know, the lady was fine with it, but the grandparents were mortified, just mortified. <laughs> and then uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was in there doing my laundry and he was watching something on his iPad and you know, he was, he was up on one of the folding tables, had his iPad on a stand, had his head in his hands and kicking his legs. And then all of a sudden I, I turn around 
and he's like standing in front of me holding his iPad up in my face because the screen has turned off and I'm an adult, so he wants me to fix it. (laughs) 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 And I'm assuming that's what he wants. Mm And before I could, before I could resolve whatever the issue was, his poor grandfather just sprinted over full tilt to, you know, side tackle this little kid from bothering <laughs> the customers. But it, it was adorable. It, it was just like this. I just, I couldn't even see his face. It's just this iPad right, right up in front of my eye line yeah. and this tiny little hand. Well, next time he does that, put the clangers on for him. See how he likes that. <laughs> there we go. Give him an education. Yeah. Get the clangers on. Thank you, Lisa. Easter Seal House from Taya. We have two differently abled daughters. Both are tracked and vented and are in wheelchairs due to the rare genetic neuropathy that they have. They also both have very severe scoliosis and this is why we were at the Easter Seal House. They were both getting their corrective surgeries back to back, lol, a week apart and we live on Vancouver Island so it was easy for all of us to go to Vancouver at the same time and spend a few weeks at the Easter Seal House so we could all be near the hospital. Due to their condition, their recovery time would be longer as they could not leave until they could be in their wheelchairs without pain. We were given two rooms that had an adjoining door on the ground floor. The building is an L-shaped and on the inside of the L is a courtyard. Our rooms had floor-to-ceiling windows that looked out at this courtyard. The first week and a half or so, we stayed in one room and the girls and their nurses stayed in the other. Once both girls were at the hospital, we were then moved into the room that they had to make room for another family to use it. We have two younger children as well, so we could both be in Vancouver when the girls were actually in surgery, but the rest of the time we took turns coming back to Victoria to be with our other children. So most of the time that I was there, I was alone. I didn't feel anything when we were in the first room, but we were under a lot of stress worrying about the surgeries and so on. But once we moved into the second room, it felt like a large man was standing right outside the windows watching me. The windows were right at the courtyard level, so we kept them closed all the time. But I swore if I pulled the curtain aside, he would have been standing right there. But I knew he wasn't, as I would have been able to see him through the curtains. Also, this was August in Vancouver, and although it has a reputation for always being rainy and overcast, August is usually very hot and sunny, but despite that, this room was always very dark, even when the sun was shining against the windows. The room had two single beds, and I would always sleep in the one furthest away from the window. I was working remotely, and when I was working on my laptop, I would feel like someone was standing right behind me staring at the screen over my shoulder. When I would cook in the tiny kitchenette, it always felt like someone else was right next to me, a space a corporal person would not have been able to fit in. I refused to go into that courtyard, as it felt like the space was repelling me. It looked like how I expected the garden in the book, The Secret Garden, would have looked. Pretty enough, but dark and heavy. The whole building had an uneasy feeling, and was dark where it shouldn't have been as it was very brightly painted, but it always felt like it was night time. A friend who lived in Vancouver came over to keep me company, and as soon as he came into the room he said, Wow, it is dark and heavy in here. Do you want to go for a walk and get some fresh air? We decided to go and check out the older neighbourhood nearby. We went down the alley next to the Easter Seal House building, and once we got to the end of the alley, 
and stepped onto the crossroads, it felt like we'd just exited out of a dark tunnel, and I realised I'd been holding my breath. The alley had just as much a dark feeling as the building. I was getting frustrated about not being able to rest a while while we got back to the room, and I had a talk with whomever this man was, explaining that I had a lot going on with my kids, and I was super worried for them, and that when I was back at the Easter Seal house, I wanted to be able to rest and recharge for them. I said I was sorry for whatever happened that had made him so angry, but I didn't cause it, and I would appreciate it if he could take it down a few notches so I could rest. It did get a little better, but the building still felt dark. However, whoever was watching me was no longer there, or was certainly not letting me know he was. A few days later, the BC Children's Hospital needed the room in ICU for a tragic emergency, so since the girls were well enough, we were sent back to our local hospital on the island. I was so freaking happy to be leaving that room. So, Taya, thank you for sharing that. And um, Taya and I have talked about this privately. Uh, I have also stayed in Easter Seal House and felt this. Hmm. It is, I mean, Easter Seal does wonderful work. Yeah. You know, they truly do. Like, this is no shade on the Easter Seal organization. They were godsends for me and for my family. My cousin was, was in Easter Seal House for the better part of 2019. They were great. It's an affordable place to stay near to the hospital where you can get outpatient treatment or if someone you know is in hospital, you, you can stay there, which is what I did. So again, this is not at all a judgment on Easter Seal House. This is, this is just, yeah, 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 there's something about that place, about that building that really does have a vibe. Um, I, again, I've stayed there. If you go back on my Instagram account, folks, I've got some folks, uh, pardon me, some photos there, maybe back in 2019-ish. And I had some weird electrical things happen. You know, an alarm went off for no apparent reason. I think it was a fire alarm in my room, of all things. And there was some other stuff as well. And it just has a very oppressive vibe. I, I always slept okay there. But still, um, it, it definitely has a, a real mojo going on. Mm, intriguing. Intriguing. Yeah. It was, like I said, it, Vancouver's a very expensive city now. So it was, it was a godsend when I would go over to see my cousin because... I think I paid 60 bucks a night <laughs> for Easter Seal House instead of, you know, 300 for a hotel in Vancouver. I wonder what the cause of that is then, because that's quite unusual, because obviously it's a, it's a place that's supportive and caring, and there's obviously a lot of love and things in that. It seems a very, a very odd place for a, for a malevolent or brooding presence to be lurking around the, the corners. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it might have something to do with the neighborhood it's in. Hmm. Because, you know, Taya talks about going out the back to sort of walk around the neighborhood. And I found exploring that sort of, there's a residential neighborhood behind it. And I found that even on foot exploring that neighborhood, I felt unsettled. So I think, I think it had something to do with the general area as opposed to something happening at Easter Seal House. I mean, I suppose you could say, you know, if, if you want to talk about things feeding this, there's a lot of anxiety obviously mm -hmm. involved with staying at Easter Seal House because you're dealing with with real serious illness in a lot of cases. So that could have something to do with it. But again, I, I think it's more geographical than it is specific to that place itself. So thank you very much, Taya. Our last story for tonight is from Michael. It's called Gettysburg. I've been a listener for quite some time and a patron for a few months, money well spent. And I keep telling myself I'm going to send in my story, but I keep putting it off. Then, this morning, I'm listening to episode 95, The Burning Child, and I heard the Gettysburg story and thought, okay, now it's time. 
My story also takes place in Gettysburg, and it's in Pennsylvania, by the way, not Virginia. And uh, it, obviously, we've been holding on to the story for a long time. Uh, and I always told Michael we're waiting for a Gettysburg episode, and that has unfortunately been pushed quite a ways down the schedule, so I, I wanted to finally share this. So thank you for your patience, Michael. I now live in Williamsburg, Virginia, and if you're ever around here, you should definitely stop by as we have our share of spooky stuff. But I grew up in Northeast Tennessee. My dad, who was a high school history teacher, used to work in the summers in Gettysburg as a licensed battlefield guide, and I would tag along with him on the seven-hour drive to do the ghost walks and explore the battlefields after dark. I had a few mildly weird experiences, but nothing like what would happen a few years later when my wife and I would vacation there ourselves. The Farnsworth house was a downtown home during the Battle of Gettysburg, and for much of the three-day battle was occupied by the Confederates. It is thought that the sharpshooter who shot Jenny Wade shot her from the attic window of the Farnsworth house, probably hoping to hit a Union officer as he'd seen them entering and exiting her sister's house all day. Now, the Farnsworth house is a quaint bed and breakfast with a reputation for having a few spirits lurking about and is usually booked solid through the summer months. But I happened to call on a whim at just the right moment and caught a break in the summer of 2003. A previous reservation had been cancelled, and not only were we able to book a room, we were able to get the most haunted front bedroom. I was beyond excited. My wife was just along for the ride. Now, the stories that are told about the room is that supposedly someone, an adult, will sit on the side of the bed while you're in it. Another rumored apparition is that of a child that will play with your things, either in the night or while you're out. Previous guests have even brought little toys to leave around the room to see if they're played with. We did set out some toys, but nothing ever played with them or messed with them. We stayed there for three nights. The first night, nothing happened. The second night, nothing happened. I was getting a little disappointed. The third night, we turned in a little early as we were leaving for home the next morning. I was sleeping on the left side of the bed as I normally do. My wife is the type of person who can fall sound asleep 30 seconds after her head hits the pillow. I tend to toss and turn and try to solve world peace. Just as I was finally getting sleepy, I felt a strange sensation on my left arm and left torso. It was warm, pressured, and a bit tingly. It took a moment for me to realize that it felt as if someone was sitting on the bed. Interestingly enough, it did not feel as if someone sat down with increasing pressure. Instead, it just manifested there. That's the only way I can describe it. I was wide awake at this point and my eyes were adjusted enough and there was just enough light coming in from the window that I could see there was no one at all to my left. But I definitely saw, what else can I call it, a butt print on the blanket covering my arm and side. This lasted probably a good 30 seconds to a full minute, during which time my emotions ranged from confusion to excitement to terror and back to confusion. The pressure and the warmth eventually just evaporated, much the same as it arrived. I immediately started poking my wife to wake her. She grumbled, What is it? I said, Someone just sat on the edge of the bed over here. She replied, Oh, yeah, they did that over here about 30 minutes ago. Over the years, I've recounted this story to those who are interested in the paranormal. I'm a high school history teacher too, like my father was. Actually, I'm a fifth generation teacher, obviously. My family needs to get out more. <laughs> and I've even told my students of this experience, if there's any ever downtime around Halloween, along with other ghost stories I've heard over the years. Sometimes I'll get a reaction like it was your imagination and you experienced what you wanted to experience, and I won't deny that possibility, but something I never understood was why on earth were they sitting higher in the bed on my side. Normally if the bed is already occupied and someone sits on the edge, they would sit closer to the feet where there's more room. If it had only been my imagination, that's what I would have imagined. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I got a possible explanation. Upon hearing the story, one of my students observed, 
Maybe to them the bed wasn't already occupied. Maybe to them it was you who wasn't really there. And Michael, thank you so much. That is a fascinating story. Again, hopefully we're going to do a full Gettysburg episode somewhere down the road. Uh, But I was thinking about what Michael said about sleep. And my Nick and I are the opposite. I am more likely to be someone, like, I I can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. Once I get into bed, the rest of the day, not so much. But when I go to bed, usually I just drop off where she's up for quite a while. And uh, is is that like you? I cannot fall asleep straight You just can't get to sleep. I I hate people like that. (laughs) This was the last Ghost Story Guys episode. (laughs) I've never been able to, even since I was a kid. Never, ever, ever, ever. Prime example of this, the other week, I, I, I... Literally, like, half eight, I dropped off watching television, which I never do. And Julie went, goodness, are you all right? And I went, no, I just don't feel very well. She went, well, go and, have, go, and have, go and have a lie down. And I was, like, gone within about five minutes of getting into bed. So I was in, like, asleep for nine o'clock at night, which is, like, unheard of unless I'm, like, seriously ill. And then I woke up at midnight and couldn't get back to sleep till 3 a.m. Yep. And I was like, oh. And then I was getting really annoyed thinking, I wish I'd have just stayed up now. <laughs> and, and I'd have been all right. And it was just so... Fr- and then so in the morning I woke up and I felt like crap because I'd ended up having nine hours sleep but in two chunks. I'll read for a bit. I'll listen to a podcast for a bit. It takes me a good, oh, I don't know, between 30 minutes to an hour to even feel sleepy. My secret is I have a first sleep and a second sleep. <laughs> so I, I will fall asleep on the couch and then I wake up after about an hour or two and then I will go to bed and lay down in bed and then I can fall asleep because I'm sort of just, you kind of, you, you try and preserve the sleepiness, you know, keep your eyes open only just a little bit and, and climb into bed. And that, that seems to, seems to do the trick. I do that here. I do that in, in, in Victoria. Um, it's, you know, I'll put on like a movie. I'm so bad because I'll put on a movie and I know I'm not going to watch it. This is just a pretense for me to fall asleep, trying to trick my brain because my brain's a real asshole. <laughs> oh, you want to focus on this thing? Guess you're going to go to sleep now. Yeah. Mine doesn't. Mine goes, oh. Oh, so you've just watched, like, Sunday. You've just watched one NFL game that's finished at quarter one in the morning. There's another one coming on in a minute. Why don't you watch it for five minutes? So I start watching it. The next thing I know, it's ten to two, and I'm like, well, it's nearly half time. I might as well watch it till the end, half time, you know? <laughs> it's only ah. 20 minutes. So, yeah, yeah. My brain's in game. Five minutes turns into an hour and a half. Brutal. Well, thank you, Michael, and thank you to everyone who sent in their stories for this episode. Again, we love reading them. And if you want to send us your story, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We would love, love, love to read it and try and get it into an upcoming show. For now, though, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. 
we're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. The ghost story guys are Luke Greensmith, who helps find our stories and is the host of the Luke Lore podcast, available on podcast platforms everywhere. Tanya Downing, who manages our Facebook community and assists with editing. Adam Lynch, host of the Weekly Creep podcast, who edits our YouTube videos. Joseph Camo, host of The Cardinal Rule and my co-host on Weird Together, our horror movie podcast. He manages our YouTube account. Sarah Kent, who manages our Reddit presence. Our paranormal conductor is Mr. Brennan Store. And my co-host is, of course, the one, the only, the inimitable, Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? Ghosts, ghosts, ghosts. Lots of ghosts. Sounds like a party to me. <laughs> uh, I've got Ruth Roper Wild coming back, talking about Haunting Times Volume 4. Um, so we've got some strange stories from Scotland and Wales as well as England on this particular episode. Uh, and then I dive into a topic I have never covered before. The Mothman. Interesting. So I will be uh, welcoming Steve Ward for the first time to the show. And we will di be diving into those strange events of 1966 and 67 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh, and Steve's, what Steve doesn't know about the Mothman case isn't worth knowing. Um, so I'm delighted to uh, have a chat with him. And uh, and then I'll be looking into Dogmen with another oh, guest. Oh, one of my favourite creepy cryptids. Yes. So, yeah, I'm doing a, a, a tribute episode to the wonderful and muchly missed Linda Godfrey. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms. I've even started using threads. I'm largely the truth on, nope, not on Twitter, <laughs> on Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, and Letterboxd. You can also find the Ghost Story Guys. We're on Facebook as Ghost Story Guys. We're on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. And of course, we have a Facebook group as well called The Ghost Story Guys Finally Made a Group. And you can find my other podcast, Weird Together, where Joseph Camo and I talk about the sociology behind horror films everywhere. Fine podcasts live. We have not started the new season yet, but we should be starting in February. 
If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head to our website, ghoststoryguys.com. We've got uh, all kinds of cool stuff there. You'll get a personalized thank you video. And I owe a few of you these thank you videos. The app stopped alerting me. So I owe you folks some thank you videos. And uh, yeah, you can get merch. You can get all kinds of cool stuff at ghoststoryguys.com. And if you want to listen to our soundtrack, Ghost Story Guys Season 6 is available on streaming platforms everywhere, courtesy of Night Harvest Recordings. That is, of course, the Ghost Story Guys house label. Our bumper music is composed by Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and musician Jerry Smith. You can find Jerry's work at rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com or on streaming platforms everywhere as Rainy Days for Ghosts or Street Witch. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. And I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back next week, but until then, into the darkness we go. episode nope that's not right <laughs> i thought you were just saying random names to me <laughs> yeah. jim jehoosaphat <laughs> beelzebub yeah him too okay but yes you may need to remove that section for litigation reasons you think <laughs> i saw numbers last time too for all the fucking good it does <laughs> when i was in victoria there's a place on government street i would go to get like different kinds of kit kats and uh different kinds of Oreos and we would take them home for parties and try them. Um, I, one time I bought this gummy bear that was like this big. It was like a foot tall and about that thick and we were just carving it like steaks. It's amazing. Sounds Pandemic good. made us all very weird. <laughs> special gummy bear. Sadly, no. I mean, it was special in that it could give you diabetes. But... <laughs> and I guess that's going to do it. Well, until then. We'll be back. Oh, what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> I love how much this pains you. <laughs> Some days it's like water off a duck's back, and other days it's like pulling a crocodile's teeth without anaesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully said. <laughs> I'm glad I could fucking say something beautifully. <laughs>